Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. McKinley Wright everybody welcome into the bsn buffs podcast presented by total beverage i'm your host henry chisholm before we start talking buffs i want to tell you about this really awesome deal for bsn listeners if you didn't know by now total beverage is delivering beer wine and liquor to anywhere in the north metro area from wheat ridge to erie for a limited time total bev is offering 20 percent off your purchase on their website and their app use code bsn20 to save 20 percent off and have it delivered right to your door Let's jump into the show. So today on the show, we're going to talk more about Buffs Media Day. Yesterday, we talked a lot about open practice and what we learned there, both about individual players, about uh, the schemes that the team will be running, all that kind of stuff. But today, we want to move on to the second half of the day, which was the media session, where we heard from Rick George, and we heard from Mel Tucker, and we heard from a bunch of other guys. I got to talk to Arlington Hambright. We played the bit with uh, Will Sherman on the show yesterday, uh, Tim Lanott. Uh, I also talked to uh, new offensive line coach Chris Kapilovic. I talked to. So we have some good stuff to talk about uh, based on what we heard from all of them. You know, Media Day is kind of an interesting thing, Buffs Media Day, because there were 74 reporters credentialed, which is just wild. Today at practice, there were five of us. Four of us. No, yeah, there were four of us at practice today. And that means that at practice, we get to talk to whoever we want. We say, today I said I want to talk to um, John Van Deest, and I want to talk to Carson Wells. 
And so I just got to talk with those two all alone and it was super simple. At media day, they pick like the three most requested players, put them at the podium. And so the whole thing runs from one to two. That's when you can talk to the players. Players. So Steven Montez, LaVisca Chenault, Nate Landman went to the podium. First 15 minutes is just 70 people asking those guys questions. And some of them were decent questions. A lot of them have been asked at practice before. Um, some of them were just bad questions from people who obviously don't really pay attention to the buffs, but had to be there to write a story. And so it's kind of this interesting setup because, you know, I requested to talk to these offensive linemen, this offensive line coach, and you just kind of sit there and wait while they're sitting at a table in the back. And then when you want to go talk to them, somebody else wants to talk to them too, and they're getting pulled in all these different directions. It's kind of a mess. I mean, we really appreciate that the Buff Sports Information Department puts it on, but it is kind of a mess. And it's just tough to understand why all these people don't just show up to practice one day and say, we want to talk to these guys, get it all done really quickly and head back out. I mean, it's it's just a much simpler process when everybody, you know, instead of having five people at practice than 74 at media day, why not just have 10 people at practice every day? Why not just show up and know that you're going to get easy access? Um, but we fought the crowds. We learned some interesting things. And I'm going to tell you about them, starting with Rick George, who opened up the press conference. So it was Rick George and then Mel Tucker and then the players. So we're going to start by talking about what Rick George had to say. Uh, the first thing that he brought up was that there will be upgraded Wi-Fi at Folsom Field in 2019. There, It sounds like the Buffs are actually planning to invest quite a bit in their facilities this year, starting with the Wi-Fi. But there are other things he wants to improve as well. There's the Flatirons Club at Folsom. I'm pretty sure that's the west side of the stadium. Uh, they want to upgrade that, uh, clean it up a little bit. Uh, they said, or Rick George said, hopefully in the next two to three years, they're going to have that upgraded. So that's actually a pretty quick timeline because that's a major renovation. Um, he wants to upgrade the sound system at Folsom which, I mean, like I've said, I haven't actually heard the sound system during a football games, but everybody has told me that it's rough and it needs to be upgraded. I'm also kind of surprised that the video board on the south end of the stadium, it's kind of tiny and it doesn't really fit the space. You know, it's so wide open at the top of the bowl on that end of the stadium and there's just that one little video board. And so I am interested to see if they try to do something about that in the next few years. It wasn't something that Rick Scott or Rick George mentioned, but it's something that I would expect to see them try to upgrade just because, I mean, coming from the FCS, most teams have at least a video board of that quality. So you'd think that that's something that uh, the people up in Boulder would want to improve. It sounds like the women's lacrosse fields are going to get upgraded. He wants an indoor soccer facility. He wants lights on the soccer field. I think that that's kind of interesting stuff um, to hear that, I don't know, coming from Montana, there's there's a big budget problem. I think three years ago, there were 15,000 students, maybe even 18,000 students on campus. This spring, it was down to like 6,500 or something. And so everything's about cutting money, cutting money everywhere possible because times are so tough. It's refreshing to hear Rick George kind of say, we want to invest more in our athletics programs. We think that that's what we need to do. Um, it's it's a nice approach. It isn't 
he the school isn't trying to punish these teams. I mean, most of them aren't underperforming, but the football team obviously is not winning as many games as they'd like. And they're trying to pump money into the program so that it will compete. And that's what you want to see. You don't want to see a situation where they say, well, things aren't working. We need to pull back and wait for things to work because we're not getting a return on our investment right away. We don't, aren't filling the seats. But maybe it's in part because they are bringing a new head coach, Mel Tucker. They, they want to give him every opportunity to succeed because he is a very good coaching prospect. I, in my book, that hire could not have gone much better. He obviously knows defense. He knows cornerbacks. We heard some good stuff about those cornerbacks in practice today. Um, I was talking to John Van Deest, and I asked him, is there anybody who's impressed him? And he said, the entire secondary. The entire secondary has been breaking up passes recently in practice and looking like a, a, a good squad, which is great to hear because that was one of the question marks that we've been hearing about. I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but bringing in Mel Tucker, that's what he can contribute. He can contribute on that very first level, uh, improving these individual players because he has the expertise, but also he's seen how good programs run. I mean, he brings in those GPS monitors because he knows that that's worth the investment. Some of the other stuff those SEC schools blow money on might not be. And so having his judgment, seeing what a massive budget looks like and really what was beneficial to the program and what wasn't, I think that makes it easier for this athletics department and the university as a whole to say, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Let's let him do everything he wants to do. So if he fails, then it's because he deserves to fail. It isn't because we put him in a bad spot. Um, obviously, all these upgrades, the the easy way for them to improve the, the product that these programs produce, just uh, more wins, I guess is the other way to say it, is that, I mean, recruits want to go to these big time programs that feel big time you know the lsu locker room kind of being the example they have sleeping pods every uh, they have like those little couches for every place it's they they spent an excessive amount of money on that because recruits are interested in that and i won't linger on this because i mentioned it before that's what cu is trying to do they're at least to the best of their ability because they don't have that same budget still they're trying to make it a place that recruits see as modern and maybe even not just modern but futuristic almost like this is what the rest of college football is trying to become what CU is right now and so it is good to hear that they are investing these funds they have the funds to invest um moving along from that topic though Rick George also talked a little bit about the 10 a.m starts for football games uh 9 a.m in pacific time 10 a.m if the game is in boulder uh, again, this is Larry Scott's idea, the commissioner of the Pac-12, to spread the games out throughout the day, you know, have Pac-12 football for 15 hours on Saturdays where you can just sit down and watch all the way through. It's a time when there isn't much competition for TV viewers, so people on the East Coast can watch. You know, the highlights play all, the, play all day. I mean, you can go back and check out prior podcasts if you want to hear my takes on all this stuff. But what Rick George said is that hosting those games would be a challenge for a few reasons, uh, one of them being that a lot of the people who go to those games, at least according to Rick George, are families who have other responsibilities on Saturdays, where it's like their kids' soccer games or football games in the mornings. They have things to do in the morning um, because that's kind of how Boulder has been built, at least its sports scene. You have the Buffs playing in the afternoon or at night, 
and you have, you know, the youth sports are generally being played in the mornings before that so that people can head over after. This plan would mess that up, obviously. Um, also said that a lot of Buffs fans aren't just from Boulder. They're, they're traveling in from around Colorado. I'm, I'm sure on game day, it's about an hour-long drive from Denver to Boulder. If they're pulling fans from there, I mean, leave at 9 a.m. to catch kickoff. Leave at 8 a.m. if you want to get to the stadium in time for... I mean, you still really don't have much time to tailgate, pregame, all that kind of stuff, which is a big part of the college football experience. And when you're talking about trying to get more people to go to these games, you're not going to do it by cutting out the few things that watching a game at the stadium has over watching the game at the t on TV. Because, I mean, you, you hear all the time about how it's easier to see what's going on on TV. You get the replays. You're in the comfort of your own home. If you want food or drinks, it's a lot cheaper to get those at home than it is to buy them at the stadium. There's the hassle of driving there. There's all this sorts of stuff. One of the things that actually going to the game has that's almost insubstitutable if you're trying to watch from home is the atmosphere. And when you're cutting down the amount of time people spend on campus, you're reducing the probability that they're going to want to go to the games because they're missing out on the tailgate. They're missing out on the fun parts that going to the game has over not going to the game. And that's not what Rick George said. He, he just mentioned that they have to travel from around Colorado uh, and they probably wouldn't be able to get there in time for that kind of stuff. But it, th those are kind of my thoughts on that take and maybe if he had expanded he would have said something similar um but he did say that in terms of the competitiveness i think he actually said you know chris peterson washington's coach said that uh his players would be up at 4 30 going to the stadium it was actually mike leach who said that um but rick george is not concerned about the competitive advantage that the home team would have or the road team would have or really even just like decreasing the level of play. Um, the big news is that he said he doesn't anticipate there will be a 10 a.m. start at Folsom this year. So Buffs fans, you really don't have to worry too much about it, at least according to Rick George. And he said he can almost guarantee that was the quote. So a little bit of news there. Uh, it's interesting to hear his perspective because it is such a contentious issue. Uh, we spent a little more time on that than I wanted to, so let's move along to the next note, which is, I mean, in a similar vein, that he wants to emphasize that you can't just blame Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, for everything that's going wrong with the Pac-12. And that's easy to do because that's kind of his job. I mean, we've also talked about this before, but, you know, it's like Roger Goodell in the NFL. All the NFL owners tell Roger Goodell what to do, He's just the figurehead who takes all the blame, who takes all of the hate from the fans for all those decisions. That's Larry Scott's job as well. And Rick George said, you know, you have to blame ADs too because we have a lot of say in the decision-making process. So interesting note there again. Uh, he said that um, 2018 was not a strong year for the Pac-12 conference and that the teams need to get better. And he said he's very bullish on the con conference. Our best days are ahead of us. That was the quote, which, you know, that's kind of his job to say that. 
uh, he went on to talk about uh, 2023, 2024. A bunch of the conferences uh, media deals are expiring. And that's going to be a big time that will probably reestablish the balance of power among the power five based on who gets the most money out of these contracts. And that means that in the next three or four seasons, the Pac-12 really needs to show that the product it produces is on the same level as these other Power Five conferences. And that's a focus for Larry or for Rick George and for the rest of the athletic directors around the Pac-12, because if if they can improve things, turn things around, get a few teams in the college football playoff, that's going to mean that their TV deal that they sign, I think theirs is up in 2024 will be much more valuable uh, for the next, you know, 10 years, eight years, however long the deal ends up being. More money going into the schools. That's money that can be used on recruiting, uh, improving facilities. Maybe they actually fix up that video board, which kind of bugs me. Uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So these next few years are very important for the entire conference. And he, Rick George says that he thinks that scheduling is very important having games after 2023 after 2024 when colorado was competing against teams like texas a&m and northwestern and georgia tech and not colorado state all that much those games are much more valuable to uh tv broadcasters those are the games that they want to have on their network that will bring them in viewers and more ad revenue part of the reason that he signed all those uh, opponents on was for that reason. So it's kind of a twofold plan. First, you got to win over the next few years, and then you have the schedule that's worth buying if you're a, a company that can be broadcasting these games. And I thought it was interesting to hear that from Rick George. And he, he said, we need to be relevant. We need to get our programs up to speed, which is very self-aware. Uh, I was impressed in general uh, by most of what he said throughout this press conference. I thought that he approached things in the right direction. He didn't try to push blame off. He didn't say, you know, the Pac-12 isn't all that bad. We've just gotten some tough breaks. It's going to turn around here quickly. He said, no, we need to work to improve this. We need to invest in our programs. And if we do, here's the payoff that we can receive. He, he kind of showed the reward that they're after and, and didn't just try to say, you know, things are going to work out in the long run. Uh, we're just going to see how things play out, you know, which is kind of what Larry Scott did when he said, I, what was what was the uh, phrase he used? I think he said strategic patience over the next five years before the TV deal. That's ugly. Um, at the time, I thought, you know, that's kind of like, maybe, maybe that's a decent point. But after hearing how Rick George approached, approached it, I was really impressed. You know, the one time that Rick George really lost it during his press conference, and it really, he didn't lose it, I guess. Maybe that was the wrong phrase. But he was asked about a potential massive donation that could kind of change the way that CU Athletics builds its budget maybe bringing in a new team, you know, maybe doing some major renovations. And Larry Scott said that he has not heard about that. Outside of people saying, look on the internet, you should read about this and know what people are saying. But he says that he has heard nothing. That's obviously something that he would hear about. And, you know, it's, if we call back again to Larry Scott speaking at Pac-12 Media Day, 
he kind of lost it in that similar way, talking about pay for play and explaining, you know, this isn't something we want. It's not good for anybody. It's not worth all that kind of stuff. That's the one thing that kind of got under Rick George's skin was talking about this. And he said, there's no donation on the way. If there is, it's going to be a complete surprise to the athletics department. And he also said that there won't be any new sports in the next three to five years. Uh, and he said, you know, if that's going to happen, it's going to be the next guy in my seat. So Rick George, or Rick George is not even thinking about adding, you know, whatever it'd be a, a baseball program, maybe, uh, He's focused on building up what they have right now. He said he just wants to make these programs the best they can be. And as soon as they're up to the level that the university expects them to be competing at, that's when maybe the next guy down the line will think about bringing in an another program. Uh, he also talked a little bit about the Rocky Mountain Showdown, saying he's he's been vocal for a long time about how there's no reason to play it in Denver. People in Denver don't really care. It's better to have those on campus in college environments. Um, he also said that he wants to build the university's popularity, the Buffs popularity, I guess, the athletics popularity in Denver. And he said to do that, again, they have to win. They have to be successful to catch people's attention. Otherwise, they will just keep focusing on you know, the Broncos, when they're good. The Rockies, if they weren't so bad this year, would probably pull a little bit of the hype away from CU in Denver. So I thought that that was another interesting point, that that is something that they're trying to focus on, trying to make it feel like the University of Colorado, people care outside of Boulder. And obviously they do, but, you know, you just want more of a following, more people wanting to make that drive Uh all the bars in Colorado or in Denver, he wants to be showing those games, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that's also on their mind. I'm not sure what they'll do about it, but it's something that at least we know he's thinking about. Um, Rick George, one last note was that he said he was really proud in the way the athletics department has been investing in its uh, student athletes in the way that uh, they've, you know, they've, they've spent more on training They've spent more like trying to keep kids healthy, trying to help them pass their classes. He noted that it was the first time I think ever that they'd had as an athletic department, uh, a cumulative GPA over uh, 3.0. And so that was interesting as well. And I think that that again, will go into the recruiting saying, Hey, we are investing in nutrition programs and academic support and training facilities and trainers who will make sure that your body is working as well as it can. That all sells well. And this is the last note from Rick George. And I think it's one that we will be happy to hear is that he plans to increase the recruiting budgets moving forward. So obviously that means more coaches flying around, getting in touch with uh, recruits, more opportunities to pull them in. Can't hurt. Uh, it's time to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer, established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, that is just a light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. 
So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge events calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. The Greg Mastriona Golf Courses at Highland Hills offer something for everyone. With a championship 18-hole golf course, the regulation 9-hole blue course, and two par threes, golfers of all skill levels will find exactly what they're looking for. There's a lot of opportunities for families to enjoy the game of golf together here. as We do have multiple courses, all different skill levels, so it's a great place to teach and develop really a good way for families to you know grow their skills and enjoy the game together. That was Alan Brown. He's the director of golf over at Highland Hills. If you're busy at work all day, don't worry. At Highland Hills, it's never too late to start a round of golf. Well, Highland Hills has a fantastic pay for what you play program. It is designed for the player to play after four o'clock or five o'clock in the evening. And you check in. You play as many holes as you can until dark. And then you come into the pro shop and we give you a rain check for any holes you don't finish. We also do a really fun event, Glow Golf, on our par three golf course. One time a month, $25, no cart, but we give you glow balls. It's a fantastic way to have some fun with friends and get out and enjoy the nighttime and the summertime here in Colorado. To learn more and book a tee time, head over to GolfHighlandHills.com today or call them at 303-428-6526. All right, into the second segment of the show now. And I want to talk now about what Mel Tucker had to say at Media Day because, again, there was some pretty interesting stuff. I don't. I think Rick George's was more interesting to me because there was some news you know it was here's what we're fixing here's what we're trying to improve here and here are my thoughts on this and i hadn't spoken with rick george before i tried to talk to him at media day but every time i saw him he was on the phone with somebody he was just wandering around on the phone and i'd like fill up my coffee way too many times because i could stand near him and just kind of wait for him to hang up so i could bombard him and say hey i'm henry the new buffs reporter at bs and denver but just never happened I'll be in touch with him soon, though. We're going to try to make a meeting happen or something. But it was interesting to hear from him. Also interesting, though, to hear from Mel Tucker. Guess how he led off his press conference? By talking about how his football team is going to be the most well-conditioned team in the Pac-12. Not a surprise. Not a surprise at all, because that's kind of been the rhetoric the entire summer. Ever since he got in here was that, you know, that's where it all starts. It starts by making sure that all these guys can play four quarters. I think, you know, starting 5-0 and and finishing last season 0-7, I feel like I should be giving you guys like a warning, like, hey, I'm about to say this again. I'm going to talk about this seven-game losing streak or just so that you guys know it's coming. But uh, it's, it's a bad look. And, you know, these guys, maybe that happened because they got tired. Maybe they weren't ready to compete for an entire 12-game season. Whatever it was, Mel Tucker is really pushing the conditioning message. Everybody inside the program seems to be responding well. We've had uh, Tim Lenoir, I talked to him on Saturday. He was saying, you know, it it sucks. When you're in there, there are times when you're just like, oh, I kind of don't want to do this. But then you think, you know what? This is going to be something that I'm going to be very happy I did when we're actually playing games. When it is time to play Utah in the last game of the season, and that's a team we want to beat for whatever reason. Maybe the Buffs are fighting for bowl contention. Maybe they've found their way to the top of the Pac-12 and they're 
playing Utah to get in the Pac-12 championship game. Maybe things don't go well and they're just trying to play spoiler. Whatever it may be, I don't expect much drop-off from this team just because they're tired. Based on the messages we've been hearing, Mel Tucker has made that so clear. And KD Nixon said that on Saturday as well. You know, this is the best condition he's been. He's He passed the conditioning test for the first time. Uh, he had things to say about the training staff and the strength staff and the coaching staff that were so positive that I was amazed he would say them because it just sounded like backhands at the last coaching staff the entire time. But, you know, that's what you want to hear. You want to hear that, you know, the number one goal is to be well-conditioned and that the team is accomplishing that. That's a little win. Um, Moving on from that, uh, Mel Tucker talked a lot more about tackling and kind of safety type stuff, which is interesting because, you know, I haven't dug too deeply into the politics at the University of Colorado regarding football. I know that there's a pretty strong anti-football sentiment from a very small group of people. Sounds like there might be one or two of those people on the board of regents who actually have some pull at the university. Um, And that kind of made me wonder if Mel kind of shifted his message in that direction there just because it was going to get more attention. It's an easy way to kind of improve his standing with that part of the community. Um, But... Here's what he had to say. He said that before they put on pads, he shows his team tape of NFL practices. He shows that those guys don't hit each other. They don't bring each other to the ground because that's not what you need to work on. Like, sure, you need to spend a little bit of time tackling just so that you have the technique down, so that you don't miss tackles in the games. But what they're really trying to work on is the plays and the schemes and everybody learning their responsibilities and learning how to make the checks, make the switches, you know, that kind of more difficult theory stuff that takes a lot longer to pick up than learning how to, you know, wrap your arms around a guy and bring him down. Now, I mean, if they do have trouble tackling people early in the season, it's going to be a bad look. And I won't blame anybody who says, you know, they should have been hitting harder in practice. They should have been bringing guys to the ground more. Even if that's the case, even if it does end up holding him back, it is worth remembering that it does cut down the injury risk at practice. It means they'll have more guys healthy to start the season. I mean, more often than not when this is the way you approach the season. So I thought that was interesting. He's actually showing tape about uh, how NFL practices work. It's, it, I don't, there's something about showing them, showing his guys what people who are much better than them are doing. It it almost like raises the bar. He's saying, here's what the NFL guys do. Now you guys go do that. You know, it's not thinking, here's what colleges do. Here's what other Pac-12 schools do. I, I feel like putting that message in their brain, we're trying to approach this like the NFL guys approach this. That can't hurt, right? Like that has to count for something that he has his team thinking about things that are obviously way up above their skill level, creating this expectation that they're supposed to act like NFL players. So I don't know. That's some interesting stuff. Hopefully it made sense. But he did say, I mean, you don't see guys tackling Julio Jones in practice. You don't see guys tackling Tom Brady in practice. Makes sense. It really makes sense. And if those guys aren't tackling, it's tough to believe that the college guys need to be tackling that much. Um, Mel also said that uh, on Friday, I believe, 
they brought in a guest. The Buffs brought in a guest from USA Rugby to teach how to tackle. And that's interesting. You know, I mean, I don't think this has anything to do with anything, but it's worth remembering that Nate Landman, who I would say is probably their best tackler, uh, grew up in a rugby family. I think he was born in Zimbabwe, moved to, or lived in Zimbabwe because uh, his dad was a professional rugby player there, then moved to the United States when he was three or four. So he comes from that rugby background. He told me that it really has benefited him just working with his dad like understanding how that works. And so if you haven't seen the rugby style tackle, I mean, you might not even pick up on it if you're watching games. The NFL style, I guess, you get your head in front of the guy, you put your shoulder in his chest, you plant him in the ground. The rugby style tackle, you aim a little bit lower, you wrap your arms around the waist, around the hips, and kind of twist down to the ground. And a lot of guys, I mean, this is how you know, the Legion of Boom days in Seattle with the Seahawks, that was when they began kind of the rugby-style tackling revolution in the NFL because that's what they did. That's what uh, Pete Carroll taught them to do. And it's kind of grown. It's moved throughout the NFL. Most teams teach tackling that way, in part because, you know, that you can get penalties for tackling in similar ways. I mean, the, the traditional NFL tackle isn't going to get you a penalty. That's that's something that kind of social media has played up. You know, you can't even tackle the same one anymore. It's not totally true. I mean, if you tackle that way on a quarterback, uh, if it's a sack, he's in the pocket, and you do plant him in the ground, then yeah, in the NFL, that's probably a penalty. But outside of that, it's not. It's just if you miss by a little bit, then it definitely can be. So the rugby-style tackling makes it much less likely that you're going to get a targeting uh, call. And based on most of what people say about it, it's generally positive. Generally, the consensus is you're not going to miss as many tackles. You're not going to hit as hard either, but you're not going to miss as many tackles. So it's interesting that he brought in a rugby guy to talk about that kind of stuff with the team. And I haven't had a chance to actually talk to any of the guys about what they learned, but I'd be interested to hear from them whether they say that tackling that way is beneficial, whether... They're just not going to do it at all because, I mean, they there are some hitters on this team. You think of Mikhail Anu, the transfer from uh, SMU, he he can hit. And I don't see him spending much time just doing the rugby style of tackling. He's going to light guys up. Uh, there's also uh, the transfer Juco linebacker, Josh Allen. He's another guy who's a hitter. We actually saw that at practice, and I didn't mention this yesterday, but on Saturday, he hit a guy on the sideline. Hit him hard. Uh, actually, Jash's helmet just went flying in the air. That thing went 8, 10 feet up in the air when he hit the guy. I hadn't seen anything like that at a college football practice before. And you need that on your team. And Mel Tucker would tell you, Every single time you ask him that you need that on your team, that physical presence, you want guys to be scared, you know, and that's a lot of what they kind of need to do this year. I mean, we've heard all the hype about the secondary, but their identity isn't going to be shut down cornerbacks. That'd be a pretty big leap from what's expected of them. What their identity is going to be is Mustafa Johnson beating up quarterbacks and Nate Landman just planting running backs in the ground. That defense, if, if it breaks out this year, it's going to be known for its physicality. Because outside of those two guys, then you bring in your big hitters. That's when you start talking about, you know, Jash Allen and Mikhail Onu. 
that is a lot of this team's identity. They're going to be tough. They're going to be hard-nosed. And they're also not going to miss tackles, I guess, because Mel Tucker's teaching them this new strategy. Uh, moving on from that topic, though, uh, he talked a little bit about recruiting in Colorado. He said that, you know, recruiting always starts in the home state. His perspective was interesting, though. Uh, here's, a, here's a quote. He said, The challenge for us is to be attractive to those top-level players. You can't assume just because a player is in your state, he wants to go to your school. And that's a great point. I mean, the easy easy answer to point to, I mean, a big recruit they missed is Christian McCaffrey. Because you think, where is this program right now if Christian McCaffrey stays home? He goes to see you. Uh, that combo of him and Phil Lindsay, oh my goodness. I mean, that offense becomes incredible. The rise, who, who knows what could have happened? We don't need to go too far down that road. But... That's a guy who you really, really, really need to keep at home at Colorado. And Mel said, you know, we just aren't there right now. And it's easier for him to say that because he isn't the reason they aren't there. He hasn't been coaching the last few years and letting them slip to this level. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a focus for them is keeping in-state talent in at Colorado, playing for the Buffs. Uh, and that starts by winning more football games, making this place more attractive to in-state recruits. And going back to uh, Rick George's comments about building a fan base in Denver, it's the same thing. You want these kids to grow up Buffs fans. That's the easiest way to keep them around. And they'll do that if you win. If it becomes, you know, you you trust that the Broncos are going to consistently win, you I mean, who else Who else in Denver sports do you really trust? Like, the Nuggets, sure, they're young, they're really good, they're in a great spot. Not consistently been winners in the past, though. The Avs have a good history. They dipped off there for 15 years, though. Um, and now, again, they have a young core, so maybe they're getting back to where they need to be. The Rockies have really never done anything. So, I mean, there's room to be the second dominant team in the state. It could be Broncos football and Buffs football if the University of Colorado can rebuild its program to that level. And I think that that's something that Mel Tucker and Rick George both understand, that if they can do that, then all of a sudden Christian McCaffrey isn't getting out of the state. Neither are any of the other recruits because they grow up Buffs fans. They want to play for their hometown program. It's interesting stuff. And it's stuff, again, I was impressed hearing it. I'm, I'm trying to temper my expectations and trying to like, temper how I approach all this just to stay a little more neutral, um, stay removed. And to do that, you have to remember that everything should be positive because we don't get to see anything. We just hear what they say. The question is just whether this is a group of people smart enough to tell us what we want to hear. And so far they've done a great job and they've said it convincingly enough that I believe that they're actually going to follow through with all this, but we don't actually get to see the product on the field. You know, and so that's kind of how you have to remember that all your all you should be looking for at this point is probably red flags, reasons to think that things aren't going to work. Because in reality, they should be able to push the narrative up until the season starts that this is going to be a big year for this squad. And I think that you know it's kind of a I feel like a downer, but it's something worth remembering whenever we're hearing all of this stuff.
Um, it was also interesting, though, to hear Mel Tucker talk about the rivalries. He said that rivalry games are important, that those are the games that you have to win. It's not just another day uh, game. He says every day since he's gotten here on December 5th that somebody has walked up to him and said, we've got to beat Nebraska. So I think he gets that he needs to beat Nebraska. It's going to be an interesting start to the season seeing three rivalry games, really. I mean, Air Force doesn't quite have the same history as Nebraska and Colorado State, in part because they took so long off the rivalry. But... That is another in-state rival. They're playing three rivals and then jumping into the Pac-12. So that's interesting. Uh, also, Katie Nixon said the exact opposite. We just go out there and play football against everybody. It doesn't matter whether they're rivals, whether it's another team. We just need to beat them one game at a time. That kind of stuff. That's what he was saying, which I thought, again, was interesting. A um, couple more notes from Mel Tucker. This is kind of running long again, but... He mentioned that he brought in Tyson Summers as a defensive coordinator and Jay Johnson as offensive coordinator because they're veterans and because they really understand the game. He wasn't looking for, you know, young guys who have the pedigree, somebody who's ready to take like the next step in their career. He was looking for guys who already knew what they're doing, guys who were established because he wants them to come in and build a scheme around the players who are already here. He isn't trying to, or this is what he says. He says he isn't trying to bring schemes and then fit the players in there. He's not, uh, he said, we're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, which is what you want to hear. I mean, again, it should all be what you want to hear, but it's that's interesting stuff that he thinks that that's important to say and that that's when asked why he said he brought these guys in here because he thinks they're capable of getting the most they possibly can out of this group of players. And then maybe forward after a few recruiting cycles, then you have the guys that you really want to run the scheme that you think is, you know, whatever, the best possible college football scheme. You just fit the pieces into that. Um, he also talked a little bit about the offensive line, said that he doesn't know who's going to be starting where, they're still figuring all that stuff out. That's the same thing that the offensive line guys told me. That's the same thing that uh, Kapilovic told me. Um, but I bring that up because today after practice, Tuesday, he said that the offensive line beat up the defensive line today. He said that the running game is really clicking, that the young backs are finishing their runs. He said that the offense is kind of developing an identity as a run first team, which is interesting. And who knows again, I mean, what is it now? Like 23 practices left? No, 21, 20, something like that practices left. But it is interesting to hear that that's kind of where things are at, um, especially because there is talent on this offensive line. Will Sherman's a guy who, you know, maybe has some NFL potential. Tim Lanott as well. Uh, Arlington Hambright comes in after starting quite a few games at Oklahoma State. The guards are a little bit questionable, but they're young. There's reason to think that they could take a step forward as well. And then you bring in Kapilovic, who has worked with a bunch of big names. Uh, last year, he was up at North Carolina. He's worked at a bunch of big-time programs. You know, he knows what he's doing. And that's the main thing that I've heard from these offensive linemen. And again, from... Uh, Mel Tucker today who said these are guys they're people pleasers they just want their coaches to be happy what they really want is like the pat on the back from the coach who says hey I told you to do this you did it and look how successful we are because of it and that's a great attitude to have um, so that's all really positive stuff coming out about the offensive line 
And I think this is actually the last note. The last note is that uh, Mel Tucker is really impressed with Steven Montez. Uh, he said that he's smart. He says that he picks up schemes quickly. He said that he commands the huddle. Um, he also said that the starting quarterback has to be your team's number one competitor. And they have to help him out with the offensive line. They have to run the ball well. Uh, they want to. His job is just to like spread the ball out to LaVisca Chenault and Katie Nixon, Dimitri Stanley, and Tony Brown, um, Jalen Harris, you know, all these guys, Fontenot, uh, Mangum. There's a lot of guys who expect to get touches this year. Um, and we'll see if he's able to get the ball around. But Mel Tucker said, as good an arm as any guy that I've seen, which is really saying something, the sky's the limit. So boom, that's... Uh, Again, what you want to hear, but he also knows what you want to hear. So, you know, all this stuff, when we don't get to lay our own eyes on it, take it with a little grain of salt. And we actually got a question about Steven Montez that I'm really excited about because it's a note that I missed. There's, you know, I, I, I kind of beat up on Steven Montez yesterday because of his performance at the open practice. And, you know, he, he deserved it. He did not look sharp. He didn't look like he totally had a full grasp. He was missing some passes, that kind of stuff. But there is one really important piece of context that I wanted to include, but forgot to. And we're going to talk about that after I tell you that right now, we launched BSN Buffs two weeks ago. We also launched BSN Rams at the same time. There's the Scobuffs code that can get you guys $10 off a year-long subscription. It gets you a free shirt, brings the total price down to $34.99, S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S. But we also launched a Rams code the same day that we launched this Buffs code. And so far, more people have signed up using the Rams code. I, I was on the phone with the guys at the office earlier today. They said that the difference is one subscriber right now. Guys, we really can't let this happen. We really can't let the... Rams, Rams be more, I mean, buying more subs in the buffs. I, I really appreciate if you guys can get out there. I promise the coverage is worth it. We have notes coming in every day. The current plan, I mean, we, we got other stuff in the works, some bigger stuff. Uh, Ryan Konigsberg's, Ron, Konigsberg will be contributing. Andre Simone will be contributing. Uh, Ali Mono will be contrib contributing. But as of right now, I'm, I'm trying to pump out six camp notes every week one for every day of camp after we talk to everybody here what went down these are like mini stories so they end up being right around 1100 words like two 350 400 word stories and then a couple little shorter brief points and i'm doing that instead of just having like one story and missing the context of everything else that's going on but then also dropping a couple longer stories those 800 word stories that really break down everything that's going on with you know the, the offensive line this kind of stuff that's the plan it's I mean, I feel weird saying it's really good coverage, but people have told me that, so that's how I'm going to phrase it. We have a bunch of interesting stuff. Um, build, starting to build a pretty awesome community in the comments. Still working on that. Love to see you guys commenting on everything you can. So, subscribe. Let's beat the Rams. Uh, hey, BSN listeners. We're excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so check them out. 
The CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it, CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. All right. Time to answer some questions. And I mentioned that I want to talk more about Steven Montez. Thank you to B Mixer who asked, do you think the events of El Paso had an effect on Montez? At the press conference, he seemed to be down while usually he has a ton more energy when talking with the media. Yes. He, I mean, I haven't spent much time with him, obviously. I, I'd seen him at the podium after practice the day before and he was more energetic. He was a lot more energetic. He actually... So so just for context, just so we're all on the same page, before we dive into this, Steven Montez is from El Paso, Texas, which is where that shooting occurred Saturday morning uh, before practice, uh, before the Buffs opened practice. Montez opened the press conference, his press conference, where he sat up at the podium with uh, Nate Lamb and LaVisca Chenault by saying, you know, my thoughts are with these guys. We need to do something about this. It was very obvious that it was getting to him. And that makes sense because he's from there and you don't know whether your friends are safe. All We don't need to dig into the, you know, psychology of having a shooting occur in your hometown but I'm sure you guys get the picture. It's not an easy place to be. And this was something that I really did mean to mention yesterday because he was pretty out of it. And I want to give him a little bit of space without breaking down. I don't want to make it sound too bad either, but you know, he was just sitting there, I think like scrolling Twitter, looking through all the updates. I mean, it's, it's a tough place to be. You can imagine how nervous you'd be when you hear that, I mean, what was the number? Like 18, 19 people die in your hometown and you don't know who those people are. He had a tough time with it. Uh, I don't want to dig in too deeply into how he struggled, but it, it wasn't anything big. He was just a little quiet. He, he wasn't smiling. He wasn't laughing. He was just a little bit secluded when he didn't have media responsibilities. He was looking on his phone for updates, just that kind of stuff. I had a quick chance to just say like, hey, man, I'm Henry. I know we haven't met yet, but just want to say that like, I'm really sorry about what went down. And, you know, he was just a little, he, he was off. And that could be a big part of the reason he did not perform as well during the practice that day. It's... It's tough when we only get to see one practice because Mel Tucker has had rave reviews for what he's seen from Steven Montez. But we don't get to see it for ourselves. And like I've said a few times in this podcast, I it's, it's rare that he's going to come out and say, you know, this guy isn't performing well enough because he understands how the media works. He understands how he can control the narrative. He actually did that today when he was talking about how the offensive line has helped to establish the running game in the recent practices, specifically today. I think they had a bit of a rough day yesterday, but they beat up the defensive line today. And he said, I mean, we'll see how the defensive line responds tomorrow. And that's a message he wants to put out there. He wants his defensive linemen to scroll Twitter and see, oh, wow, coach kind of challenged us. 
we better live up to it. And so in those situations, sure, he's going to put out something just a little bit negative because he doesn't care about the outside perspective nearly as much as he cares about what, how, how he is motivating the guys inside the team. And there are two main ways he's been doing that. First, I think this might even be the first time we've heard him say this group needs to improve, but that's a way to say, hey, you guys need to improve. It's so serious that I'm telling these other people that's out there now. And on the other hand, he's been giving us a list of players who have performed very well every day at practice. So he's giving that positive reinforcement so that guys know they will be rewarded if they put the work in, that their names will be in the media. You know, I've actually been talking to a lot of the guys he names just because I'm curious to get to know him because I want to hear their perspective on what's going on. You know, yesterday he said Carson Wells is uh, is uh, possibly the most underrated player on this team. So I went and I talked to Carson Wells because I want to hear what Carson Wells has to say, whether he thinks he's underrated. Uh, who he thinks might also be underrated. This is all stuff that I'm going to be writing in today's camp notes, by the way, if you're interested. Um, Code Scobuffs, if I hadn't said that. S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S, $10 off, free t-shirt, great deal. Get in on it, join us. But he knows how to play the media. Mel Tucker knows how to play the media. And that's great. And it's worked well. And it comes with a lot of advantages. And it's part of the reason you do have closed practices so that he can kind of shape that narrative and use it to fuel his guys how he feels they need to be fueled so that he can hide key components of the team, which players are going to be contributing, who's going to be working where up until the first game so that Colorado State doesn't know what to expect from this team. There are a bunch of advantages. One major disadvantage is that Steven Montez did not play well the one time that we saw him on the field. And I've had conversations with people saying, you know, they can't let him actually go out there and play quarterback, right? And you say, well, we don't know if that's actually as bad as he looked, but if he's actually going to be playing as poorly as he looked, but that's what we saw. And we don't get to see him on a day when there isn't a shooting in his hometown to know, oh, actually, we can be confident. This isn't something we need to be talking about. You know, then then I'm not even talking about Steven Montez at this point. I'm saying, you know, I wonder what's going on with this offensive line. I wonder what pieces are improving. And then we can kind of like break down and dig into them, you know, and it just shifts a bunch of different things. If we're in on practice watching, this is one of the negatives is that, you know, Steven Montez didn't look great. I'm pretty confident. I mean, he's been around for a while that it, it was probably a one day thing. Whether he's actually been a world beater every other day of practice and he's actually going to be competing for you know, first team all pack 12, second team all pack 12, I don't know about that. But I would guess that he isn't the kind of guy who's just going to be missing open passes that often because he is extremely talented. Uh, I, I really appreciate that question. Gave me a point to come back or gave me a reason to come back and talk more about this point of Steven Montez actually playing pretty poorly, but maybe there's a reason why. And let me talk about why I want to go watch more football practice. Uh, we're going to move on now to the next question, which comes in from B. Bechter, 22. Uh, I believe, yeah, that's my guy, Ben Bechter. Cool kid. Uh, 24 days until the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Do the Buffs cover the 11 point hat, or 0.5 spread? Oh, yeah, they do. It, this game is not going to be close. Mel Tucker's going to have these guys ready to go. That's the one thing that I really do take away from all of this is that 
This isn't a slow starting team. This is a team that's going to go out there and they are going to beat the hell out of anybody who's lined up across from them. I would not want to play this team early in the season before you know exactly how mean and how tough and how physical this group is going to be. At least Nebraska will have some tape to watch and say, oh boy, this is what we have coming at us. We better hunker down. Colorado State doesn't have that. Colorado State isn't going to know what hit it. Obviously, you know, a Pac-12 school is just going to have more talent than a whatever Mountain West school. That's the way the world works. That's the way college football works. They have the talent advantage, and I think that this team is going to come out firing. They're going to be crisp and clean. This isn't going to be a slow start, in part because these guys know their schedule is front-loaded with winnable games. After week five, they might not be favored again. I mean, I guess if they go out, they win five games, then yeah, they're going to get some help from Vegas. This 11.5-point spread, though, no way they're seeing that in any other game this season unless things really break out. But yeah, this team will be ready to go. I know there are questions about Montez. There are questions about a bunch of things. But I mean... we. Who wouldn't rather have Montez than, is it Colin Hill who's going to be starting for the Rams? Just across the board, they're more talented. Their, their attitude is in the perfect place. This isn't a team that's going to come out flat. And I know like I've kind of circled around that point a couple times answering this question, but that's what it is. It's that they have the talent advantage. I think they're going to have the energy advantage. Sure, weird stuff happens happens in rivalry games. Weird stuff happens in the first game of the season. Weird stuff happens when you're playing at a neutral site. None of that is going to make up for the... This team wants to win for Mel Tucker so bad. This team wants to win for this coaching staff so bad. I, I almost wonder if that's something that Mel Tucker instilled in these guys. Or like Even when he was picking the assistant coaches, he said, you're a guy that players are going to like. Like, they are going to feel bad if you lose. They're going to feel really bad if you lose your job because they aren't performing well. Because that's another thing that we just hear consistently. Like, offensive line guys saying, Coach Cap, he's a player's coach. That's what I think, I believe that was Lynott who told me that. Uh, but that's what it's like across the board. These receivers love Darren Cheverini. Uh Ross Ells, Nate Landman can't say enough great things about linebackers coach Ross Ells. I, I I, don't think this football game is going to be close. I think it's one, you know, he, here's how I'm going to end this. I remember back when I was probably like 11 or 12, the Montana Grizzlies basketball team made the NCAA tournament. I was really excited. They were supposed to play Syracuse in the first round. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, maybe there's a chance. And I remember my dad saying, you know, this is probably one of those games where, you know, Montana comes out, they keep it close into, into the second half, early in the second half, then Syracuse pulls away and wins by 20. You know what really happened? Syracuse scored the first 24 points of that basketball game. They just stomped the Grizzlies. And I think that this could be a situation like that where the Buffs get up early. I don't even know. Just thinking ahead, it's tough not to say, like, you know, maybe they just throw LaVisca Chenault at kick return or return the opening kick for a touchdown and never look back. This this is a game I'm excited to see, mostly because it's just going to build some hype for this Buffs squad. 
and I'm excited for that. That makes my job a lot more fun. That's all I've got for you guys today. I'll be back tomorrow with my guy, Andre Simone, who will be joining the show. And yesterday we talked just a tiny bit on the podcast about Mel Tucker's comments that LaVisca Chenault might be returning punts next season. I touched on the fact that, you know, if you want him to be a Heisman contender, that's something that he's just going to have to do. If that's not your priority, though, then who knows? Um, a lot of people in the comments had a lot of thoughts about that. So we're going to ask Dre what he thinks, if that's a good idea or if it's something the buff should avoid. Uh, thanks for riding with me. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye, guys. I think I like my Colorado